This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome back to the Money Seed Podcast. Today, my guest is Jordan Trice. Jordan works for a hedge fund, and he's here to talk about alternative investments, in particular, the life settlement space. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gabe. I'm excited to be here. So Jordan, I believe that you work in the hedge fund industry. Let's start with the basics. What is the difference between the word mutual fund and hedge fund? I mean, I feel like I hear the word hedge fund 10 times a day on the news, and I've never invested with one. What is the main difference between, say, the average mutual fund through like Vanguard or anywhere else I can buy versus a hedge fund? You know, the, the number one difference between a hedge fund and a mutual fund is a hedge fund can go long and short. That's, that's really technically the main difference because if you're trading things like stocks or bonds where you can, you can use different vehicles to short those instruments, that's not a mutual fund. A mutual fund is long only. So that means they're going to make their fee, whether it goes up or down, but they can only buy stuff. They can sell stuff to take a profit or a loss, but they can't go short and make money on the downside. A hedge fund can do both. Got it. So tell us more about alternative investments. Every time I hear the word alternative investment, my ears perk up because there's a million ways to invest money, but you have quite a unique one. Tell us about the space that you're in. So it's called the life settlement space. And the life settlement space has a very interesting journey. Um, it, It really started in 1913 in a Supreme Court case. And the Supreme Court said, basically, yes, you can buy and sell life insurance just like you can a car or house or any other object. And that's really when the life, life uh, excuse me, the life settlement space uh, came about. Of course, there was no regulatory body. There wasn't really uh, any way to get into it as an investor. It just kind of, it was. So maybe many years later, we'll say maybe 30 or 40 years ago, people started finding out ways to get into the space as an investor. And so for the first few decades of the life settlement space being born, it was just really rich people or institutions. And it's funny because we always talk about, oh, you know, what the rich are doing and then everybody else. And that's really how it was for a long time. Uh, Fast forward about to maybe 10 years ago. And a lot of those investments have been um, accessible to maybe not the general public, although sometimes you might call the general public, but a lot more people. And that's kind of why we're on the we're on the show today is to to kind of talk about its uh, its place. Uh, so, what is a life settlement? That's probably uh, everybody's thinking that. Like, this sounds so weird. I've never heard of this before. Well, um, imagine you've got a grandma. I've got a grandma. Her name's Grandma Dorothy, and she's ninety six. Uh, I would hate to buy her insurance, by the way, because she's she's going to be around forever. But uh, a lot of people that age they don't have a, a steady income, or if they do, it's a very small income and it's fixed. And maybe they start having health issues. And we call those people health impaired seniors. So when a health impaired senior, like maybe my grandma, uh, she doesn't have someone to help her financially, she may look to that life insurance policy. A lot of these life insurance policies, we're not, we're not talking about IUL, uh, usually not variable, although it sometimes happens. They're usually uh, universal life policies. So someone's going to look to their universal life policy that they've been paying into for decades most of the time, especially if you're that old. And you're going to go, you know... I bet you I could get some money for this. And it used to be you only had two options, which was, well, I'm just going to stop making the payments because I can't afford this four, five, two, three, whatever, $100 a month payment. Or uh, maybe you go to the insurance company and say, hey, Mr. Insurance Company, the big bad insurance company, 
uh, I need money for this policy. And they're going to say, well, it's in our financial model to give you as little as possible, Dorothy. And unfortunately, uh, you're just going to get pennies on the dollar. Well, this whole life insurance settlement industry, when it came about, it, it actually is a uh, socially responsible uh, ESG type investment. And you're thinking, okay, I think I understand why we're making money off death. That's not really how we look at it. You're actually helping health impaired seniors like Dorothy in the example. So she's going to go to that industry and they're going to go, okay, we're going to put you through a battery of tests. We are going to have you sign all this paperwork. We're going to take kind of a long time to do everything because there's very strict regulatory guidelines. There's a very strict process. We have to check all these boxes. We have to talk to your beneficiaries. But eventually, we're going to get to a place where there's a number. And Gabe, there's a number for every life insurance policy, and we're going to offer that. Well, whatever that number is for a health-impaired senior, the health-impaired senior on average is getting four to 11 times the amount of money that they would get. If they went to the insurance company and said, please, Mr. Insurance Company, help me. And they say, well, we're getting pennies on the dollar. So you could imagine how much better it is for, uh, again, that health impaired senior to go to that market and get liquidity for their policy. So Jordan, maybe walk me through a little bit of how that works. So this individual, like in the example, let's say your grandma, she would take her life insurance policy and sell it to somebody else. So in effect, a new, a new party becomes beneficiary right, of that policy. And then in exchange, right. for, in exchange for that, she gets a lump sum settlement today. 100%. So you're already getting it. So life in, uh, a life settlement is really just third-party owned life insurance. And technically, I can buy my grandmother's. She can go to uh, an institution called a provider to purchase that, that paper. But as soon as it goes from my grandma to an institution or a third party, it's officially a life settlement. And that's really where the industry goes is they trade that paper just like they would maybe mortgage-backed securities or other uh, paper-based assets. Uh, stocks would be a good example, except they're very they're very uh, clear and well-traded. This is a little bit more niche less money is into it, and uh, the, the, return, the return opportunity is a lot different. So what is a life settlement? It's third-party-owned life insurance. How does it happen? It gets bought from a health-impaired senior where they can get an idea of how long that person's supposed to live. They put a number on that policy and then they purchase it from them. And this is great for the health impaired senior, obviously, because grandma goes, hey, I've got 100,000 or a million, depending upon the size of the policy. Now they can expand their healthcare options and they don't have to live off the system at least as much as they did before because they've got those more options. They've got that lump sum. They can take that last cruise, do repairs in the house, uh, better hospice care. It just depends on their situation, but it is it is a win-win-win for everybody. And now that investor... When that policy pays off, meaning when uh, the health impaired senior finally does pass away, we call it the policy maturing, then the uh, death benefit is going to go to that third party that purchased it. Now, they still have an obligation. They have to continue to make payments on that policy. So that's another thing that goes into the whole equation. But again, they own this. So there's this entity out there and they're buying up all the paper, not literally, but just for example, and they're going to hold on to all this life settlement paper and then they're going to flip it for a small profit. So there's a actually a really big country uh, company out there. Most people over the age of 50 have seen in a commercial. It's called Coventry. And uh, most people will think J.G. Wentworth, but that's not exactly right. Coventry, they're talking to all the health impaired seniors and going, can we look at your policy? We'd like to make you an offer. Can we do this? And so once they buy those, they go, oh, well, we're out of money, so we need to sell these policies. So they just take a little bit of each policy, sell it off to the next market, which, by the way, that would be us. We're the hedge fund going, hey, Coventry, we want to look at your stockpile of policies because we're going to create a return for our investors when we go raise capital 
from those policies. And so they make a little bit, we make more for our investors, and then everybody's very happy. It's when you talk about diversification or you know how it correlates with the markets, this sounds like a business model that really isn't affected by the world all that much, right? Um, in other words, just because there's an economic uh, you know, slowdown or depression or high inflation or whatever, it really shouldn't affect the underlying business, right? So is that a fair statement that this is fairly, uh, fairly secure? That is a great statement. So uh, it, it, yes, that's true. And in a number of ways. So the number one way is, I ask this to most people, I say, during 2008, how many banks went out of business? Do you have, do you have an, uh, an idea of that number, Gabe? Um, I, I would have to guess maybe 500 or maybe like 1,000 banks. It's definitely in the hundreds. I, I believe it's in the 200 range, but I'm not totally sure, but it's hundreds. And that's that's a big number. I mean, banks have FDIC insurance. They have the, they're supposed to have ex- extremely high credit ratings. They're holding on to cash supposedly in treasury, which is supposed to be um, a risk-free asset, right? The 10-year treasury, which you know some of those treasuries just brought down a large bank. So are banks that safe? I'm not here to compliment on that, but that's the banking situation 2008. Well, my counterparty for the most part are, uh, and anybody else in this industry are uh, insurance companies. And if you look at the, the debt and credit ratings of both industries, there are arguments you could make that insurance companies actually have better ratings and actually are safer than banks. Plus all insurance products come with a guarantee. So that's, that's interesting. I'm not saying uh, someone who's investing in a space is going to get guarantees. All I'm saying, this is your counterparty that you're dealing with. How many insurance companies went out of business in 2008? I'll just give you the answer. It was zero. <laughs> so if, you, if you're thinking about an investment that has good counterparty risk, this could be on your list of that thing. So that's, that's really number one. Number two is 100% right. It is not affected by who the president is or what interest rates are doing or did the stock market go down? If if you look at a graph of all of the life settlement hedge funds out there over the last, say, 10 or 15 years, they're all going to look really similar, and they're all going to look nothing like the S&P 500. They're not going to look anything like uh, the other stocks, bonds, or mutual fund products out there. It marches to the beat of its own drum. And really, that's the reason why people get into alternatives in the the first place, right, Right, Gabe? That's it, yeah. And actually, that was going to be my follow-up question is... How does this typically fit into a portfolio, right? I mean, people have stocks, bonds, some people have gold, cash, maybe some crypto. How do you, how would you say this fits into someone's portfolio? So a a lot of investment advisors will say, we'll use what's called the bucket strategy. So they'll say the first bucket is for cash and cash equivalents. So, you know, your emergency savings, maybe some three three month treasuries or something. And then the next one is maybe stocks, maybe the next one's bonds because it's slightly longer. And then you usually have this, this, uh, bucket over here that's for longer term investments because maybe it's safer or because it fits your portfolio strategy or what have you. This is where this asset class is going to fit the most. Uh, I like to call it a bedrock uh, a bedrock asset class because the way that the value of these instruments fluctuate is nothing like the other instruments, but even in a very bad year, the instruments still don't fluctuate down all that much. Uh, and it's for lots of reasons we probably don't have time for, but uh, it's, it's great to have that non-correlation. So it's going to be in your long-term bucket. And if people are thinking of investing in that space, I would recommend a time horizon of at least at least one, possibly three years, because that's really where you make the majority of your returns. This asset class is not going to return. I mean, unless you're buying and selling policies and you understand the space and you're doing it on your own, don't expect to make more than 15% in a year. I mean, can it happen? Absolutely. Uh, will it happen consistently on the long-term? 
Probably not. <laughs> but even in a bad year, you might make 6%. You might make 8% where your stock portfolio could be down 30 or 40%. So it's nice, but it's in that long-term bucket. That sounds pretty amazing. I mean, the fact that there are some people who can make up to 15% in this type of an investment, I think is phenomenal, right? I mean, if you go out to the stock market, you're lucky to get 8% to 10%. You know, Chances are you're not going to beat the S&P 500 over the long run. Um, so anything above that, I think, is is excellent and it's bonus. Uh, so that that sounds really interesting. Um, tell me, how does an event like COVID affect the space, right? Where you have a lot of individuals unexpectedly, you know, getting sick or or perhaps even dying. Uh, how does that affect the industry? I love I love how you asked that question too, because how does COVID affect? You know, <laughs> the SEC recently put out a, a little blurb on these kinds of private investments that said, in all your documents, you have to mention COVID risk. Otherwise, you're breaking an SEC rule. So um, that's something that always has to be talked about now. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, that's how big COVID was. At the very beginning of COVID, myself and a lot of the industry thought that we we're just going to have this wave of, um, I want to put this uh, diplomatically, a, a wave of maturities. A lot of people thought that we we're just going to look at our portfolio in a year or two later, and it was just going to be you know, sky high, and everybody's going to be looking for policies. And it was actually kind of the opposite. So. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple anecdotes. People actually pulled policies from the industry. You had uh, maybe someone that was a health impaired senior. They were signing paperwork, but they got COVID. The family would say, you know what? Let's not put that application in just yet. And the reason for that was we actually have a high conviction that this person might pass away really soon. So we're not going to sell her policy because we're going to get the benefit and, and we can take care of her for now. And what we found was there was less paper. Uh, the whole industry became a little bit less liquid and returns really didn't get affected. It was just kind of, it was mostly business as usual, although you had to pay up for policies to a certain degree. Um, seniors didn't see the doctor as much and we're starting to see the effects of that now, but then it was more uh, health impaired seniors are now washing their hands more. They're being more careful. They're not seeing family. They're not even seeing their doctor, which is later. Uh, and, and because of that, they're wearing masks they were getting sick less. So health impaired seniors were actually uh, had a, it seemed they had an uptick in life expectancy at that time. Now we're seeing that a lot of the people that, of course, that didn't go to the doctor and did so their policies are starting to pass away because maybe those health, um, those, those health impairments they had are starting to get the better of them. But during COVID, it was, it was a surprisingly normal time, even for, even for returns. <laughs> that's surprising to hear. I mean, I guess that's good news, right? Um, so tell me, Jordan, the typical investor, right? Uh, how, what is the minimum investment required to, to, to invest in the fund? And what does your typical client look like? So what, I, what I'd like to do is to make sure that we're, we're talking about as many generalities as we can. But uh, every fund is going to have a different minimum investment. For us, it's a little bit higher. You know, it's around the 250000 mark. And really, that's because we're looking for a more institutional type investor. We do take private investors, but we want to have it at a level that is conducive with the investment mentality we're looking for. Because because these kinds of funds, we're looking for longer term investors. Mm -hmm. And I think what you'll find is when you're looking at other funds, most of the funds are going to be right around that same mark. And do you have to be an accredited investor to invest with you? Yes, sir. Yes, Got sir. It. Yeah. And so uh, for those of for those new listeners that may not know what a credit investor is, uh, that's a person, a single person that makes $200,000 for the last two years, reasonably expects to make that this year, 300000 for a married couple, 
or a million in assets outside their home. And I really want to know more about your personal background. I've never met a kid, for example, a 10-year-old kid who says, I dream of growing up to be a hedge fund manager in the you know, life space, life settlement space. I mean, how did you stumble on this industry? You know, I, I got into private equity uh, maybe six or seven years ago, and I loved it. You know, I I, I was in retail banking and, and uh, I was even in mortgage banking back in 2007. And that was, you know, that was a wild time. I mean, selling neg ams over the phone is just crazy. And uh, needless to say, uh, two firms that worked for one out of business because, you know, it was just 2007 going into 2008. This is the way it was. Um, and I really wanted to work with a less retail type investor. Uh, more accredited was was my style. I just didn't know it yet. And I met a guy. I literally just met someone who were raising capital together on a different project. And he goes, oh, yeah, life settlements. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, you know, you can buy life insurance. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. I was like, tell me more. And uh, I got my life insurance license at the time. And I started going to these seminars and I said, this is cool, but it's still retail-y. How do I, I want to talk to the guy that you know. He said, okay, yeah, I'll introduce you. And it was a gentleman who had been in the industry already for 11 years. He started uh, at the bottom and worked his way completely to the top. And I started pushing that guy. His name's Luke. I said, Luke, dude, you need to, you need to start your own fund. I want to raise capital for you. And uh, we founded something together about three years ago. And it's been great ever since. And now it's just, I get to look at an industry that most people don't know. So that's exciting for me. And uh, I get to have these kind of learning experiences with people like yourself, where it's like, okay, what's a life settlement? This is, this is new. Well, Jordan, you are the first guest we've had on the show who is in the life settlement space. Um, and so thanks very much for coming on the show and telling us all about it. It is quite fascinating. I'm really I'm really uh, interested in the idea that you can have a considerable return without the typical risk that you would see in the in the stock market, for example. So it sounds like the the risk reward profile of this investment seems to be on the outside to be superior to say the stock market or crypto or the you know the other types of more mainstream investments. And I think that's always a good addition to any portfolio. Uh, Jordan, what is the best way for people to learn more about the space and about you and your company? You know, I think uh, I think a really great place to start is our website. We have a website called uh, AspenAlphaAdvisors.com, uh, advisors with an O-R, uh, .com. And we try to put out uh, a few blogs. We have articles. Uh, we try to be a thought leader in the space. Unfortunately, this industry is still kind of tight-lipped about how they do business because it really is mostly institutional investors. And the, the market that we're going after, we really want to we really want to be very transparent because the way things are going now with all the technology and the AI, the, the information is right there. You just have to share it. And so we do our best to share everything we can. I talk to people that can invest in our fund as well as people that can't. And I'm, I'm just giving them the information because it's great to be, to be armed because at some point when this thing opens up to everybody else, we would love to see people already be educated. Jordan, I'll put all those links in the show notes. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, Kate. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Money Seed Podcast. Please remember to click like and subscribe. It really helps spread the message to other investors and it helps attract new viewers to the show. We appreciate your support. Thanks very much.